And welcome to those who are watching online as well. If we can help you in any way at the Billabong, please don't hesitate to get in contact. And welcome to everyone in the room. Elise is going to bring us our Bible readings for this morning. <laughs> the reading from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. Uh, Jesus heals a paralyzed man. So when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news quickly spread that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. They lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples into his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Uh, there were many people of his kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Elise. Alrighty. Well, we reached chapter two. And it's not even April yet. Uh, in case you've just joined us, we are working through the gospel according to Mark, one of four accounts of Jesus' life in the Bible. And uh, we are going to pick up the pace a little bit in the coming chapters. Otherwise, we'll be going into 2020 as well. But um, at this early point, um, I'm wanting to give really adequate time to the opening events of Jesus' life and ministry because... Uh, these early events set the scene for everything else that's to come. It sets the platform for really what Jesus' ministry is going to be about. And what we just read today is definitely no exception, along with the, the miracles and the healings, which Aaron reminded us of earlier. Uh, at this point, we a little bit of a recap. We've read about um, Jesus' baptism and then his testing in the wilderness, which highlighted a few things. Uh, one of the, this is one of the slides used, I think, from, from part one. Uh, Jesus' unique identity was, was established 
and um, his willing obedience to the Father, in, especially in the desert. And um, these will flow from each other. The Father is the one who gives Jesus his identity, and out of that, he is obedient. Then, uh, as we begin to see the healings and the casting out of demons, all that challenging stuff, we see the corresponding authority that Jesus has. We see the power that comes from that in his life. Uh, we see then that he continually stays close to God. He, he, he withdraws from the crowds to be alone with his father. He prioritizes that. He doesn't let others direct his steps and continues to, be, to stay in that, that uh, simple obedience to his father. And uh, he stays focused on the main thing. That was the title of my message last week. Uh, to preach the good news. The time has come, the kingdom of God. God has come near. That is the opening line of Jesus, Mark 1, 14, 15. The, king, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Uh, and last week I left, you, I left us with the challenge that, that this is to be our main thing also. That Jesus' main thing is preaching the gospel, proclaiming the good news is our main thing too. And that this was Jesus' intention all along, that we were to share his mission with him. And carry it on. Now, my, my worry coming away from some big challenges like that is that we might feel burdened, that we just kind of feel like it's a heavy load to carry, that we feel unequipped, maybe even feel unworthy of this high calling to carry the gospel to carry it in your heart and in your mind and in your hands and in your mouth, to carry this, this gospel that has the power to alter someone's eternity, to change their life completely. And, and I believe that the scripture we read today, it, that it can help us to take any of that hesitation that we might have, any of that feeling of burden or unworthiness, and turn it into passion, turn it into a joy, turn it into a freedom even that we have and a sense that proclaiming the good news, preaching the gospel, whatever you want to call it, sharing Jesus is, is actually this amazing privilege. It's an amazing uh, joy and it's an instinct that Jesus wants to unlock and release in us and it's because of what the good news is because of what the gospel is and who we really are as a result. We've sung about it today, we've talked about it, we've prayed about it today. Let's read about it today and hear it and let it sink into our hearts. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that in this space, in this room, we, we just have the chance to focus our hearts and our energy and our time and our minds on you. Father, I thank you that uh, the message of Jesus, the main thing that Jesus came to talk about and to, uh, to live out in his life is that our sins are forgiven, they are no more, and we have freedom in Christ. Lord, and I pray that the gospel would sink into our hearts, that good news would sink into our hearts and lives this morning. As we read this, your word, thank you for the scriptures and how they've been passed down to us so readily accessible to us. 
We pray that we would honour you with even our thoughts this morning as we read and as we reflect. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Elise has just read for us two scenes that follow the healing of the leper. That's where we were last week. So we read about, just now, the paralytic who's lowered through the roof and then healed by Jesus. And the calling of Levi, the tax collector, someone who was not... A uh, very popular person, tax collectors were not uh, uh, very popular for the Jews that considered sinners. And um, so we read the calling of Levi. And there's a focus in each story on sin and forgiveness. So the healing of the paralyzed man, let's start there first. It's, it's really unique for a, few, for a few reasons. If you've ever heard the story before, you may think of it as kind of, it, it's a fairly impressive feat. The friends, they climb up on the roof, they remove part of the roof, and then they lower their friend down. That's some pretty creative thinking if you want to skip the queue. I'll just go through the roof. Sounds like a good idea, but listen to this from from one commentary. The houses, like most in ancient Palestine, were single-story structures with flat roofs accessible by an outside staircase. So it sounds like it's easy to do. But the roof was used for working and sometimes for sleeping, and so it was not a flimsy. In, it was not flimsy in construction. Wooden beams or branches were thatched with rush and dabbed with mud. Mark's description of how the men in the Greek literally unroofed the roof, therefore, it suggests a major demolition job. So it's not like all of a sudden Jesus is sitting there in the house, this is his friend's house, probably Simon and Andrew, and he notices a few rays of light coming through the ceiling and some guys are up there politely asking, hi Jesus, mind if we skip the queue and lower our friend down? That's not what it's like. It's like, boom, Jesus, sorry, we just felt like we needed to destroy your friend's roof to get our friend down to you and skip the queue. It's pretty dramatic. It's not kind of this polite entrance. And I think that a dramatic entrance like this, something so kind of extreme, it serves to highlight the astounding thing that comes next. You'd expect people to start kind of getting all up in arms and really focusing in on the the demolition job that has just happened around Jesus, but instead all the focus and attention is on what Jesus says. Upon seeing their faith, he decides to heal the man, but first he says this thing. He says, my child, your sins are forgiven. And we're going to see that that is far more surprising to the people present than some guys up like destroying the roof above Jesus' head. Some clarification first as we get into this. Faith, sickness, and sin all seem to have some kind of a connection to each other here. Now, I said uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to say this again, that there's no biblical justification for the idea that faith will always result in healing from God, that if you just have enough faith, then you'll be healed. That's not a, it's not a magic formula. Even still... In the scriptures and in Mark's gospel, faith sometimes and maybe even often seems to have this connection to uh, Jesus healing somebody. It's just not this consistent thing that you can turn into a, into a formula. This plus this equals that. Likewise, the connection between sickness and sin. Sickness is sometimes the result of sin. It's just not biblical or helpful or loving 
in any way to say that personal sickness is always the result of someone's personal sin. That's not helpful at all. In this, in this particular case where this, this paralytic man is lowered through the roof, it could have been the case that he was sick because of something in his life. Even probably more likely, it could have been the case that this man thought he was sick because of some sin in his life. Very common in that day to think that. But either way, this connection can only point to something bigger, and that is that sickness in the world stems not always from the sin of of you and I, the, the wrongdoing, but of humanity. Right back to Adam from the fall. And so the world is broken. And this is why Jesus uses this opportunity to bring some focus to the good news. Not the good news of, I'm here to heal you, but the real good news. The good news that he's really here to proclaim, and that is this, that the greatest sickness is sin. And the greatest healing that Jesus offers is forgiveness. Is forgiveness. In the passages that we've covered in recent weeks, we see Jesus uh, trying to divert people's attention away from miraculous healings. He's saying, don't go tell people that this happened. Please keep it quiet. Here, it's the opposite. He wants to bring attention to the offer of forgiveness. The religious leaders, we're going to see more of them in the coming weeks. That's going to be lots of fun. Uh, They are shocked by Jesus' declaration that this man's sin, they are forgiven. These sins are forgiven. Long story short, you cannot do that. Jesus has crossed a big line. You do not just go, I mean, this is God's job to forgive sin. And I'm not going to go deep into the biblical Jewish context, but it's a big no-no that Jesus has just done. And so he says to them, is it easier to say to, a paralyzed, to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or is it easier to, to say, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? His point being that if you say, stand up and walk to a paralyzed guy, there's a bit of risk involved in that. <laughs> because if he doesn't, you, don't, you look like a loony. Right, But if he does, and, and the healing does come, then there's something quite authoritative and quite powerful that this man Jesus has. So it's easier to say, your sins are forgiven. But that doesn't mean anything, because you can't... It doesn't mean you can forgive sins. It doesn't mean you hold any authority. Nothing proves it. The man looks the same. It's just easier to say. It's easier to say, your sins are forgiven. But does it, it doesn't prove anything. And so then Jesus says this, So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He's referring to himself. And then he tells the man to walk, and the man does walk, and the crowd is like, we have never seen this, anything like this, before. Why have they never seen anything like this before? Because Jesus healed a guy who was, who was paralyzed? No, no, no. They've seen that lots of times before. We've already read about healing of a leper and healing of uh, Simon's mother-in-law with a fever, fever. And we've read about all these different stories of Jesus spending a whole night healing people and casting out demons. They've seen this time and time. They've seen this a lot. It's not like we've never seen 
somebody get healed miraculously before. They've been around Jesus for a few days now. What astounds them is that he has just proved that he has divine authority. That is what makes them go, whoa, we've never seen this. Does Jesus want to become famous for miraculous healings? No, not at all. Because he doesn't want the real good news to become twisted into something it's not. He wants the real gospel, the true good news to become loud and clear. There is forgiveness available from God here and now. And that forgiveness is available in him. It's the same reason that Jesus refers to himself as, uh, as son of man. I think you can go to that next slide, uh, Martin. Yep, thanks. I, I didn't have it written on my thing. It's the same reason that Jesus refers to himself as the son of man. The son of man was a title that wasn't, they didn't have that much concept of what it meant. It referred back to the book of Daniel where there's talk of this son of man, but they were expecting the Messiah and they were expecting a certain kind of Messiah who would go and would overthrow the Romans and would be powerful, would be a certain kind of saviour and Jesus doesn't want to bring attention to that expectation. So he says, I'm going to refer to myself as the son of man, which has connotations to the of being the Messiah but he wants to set the tone of what his message is there's forgiveness of sin he wants to make it very very clear God's kingdom is coming to the, into the world in a certain way forgiveness forgiveness the healing of a sickness that's not fever or leprosy or being paralysed or a blood condition or any of the other things that he amazingly heals people of all of those things point to the real problem that he's come to fix, which is a separation from God due to sin. Now, there's a lot of talk, I think, about sin in the world today, just without using the word. There's lots of condemnation that in, our, in the public setting we like to throw at, out at the heinous things that people are doing and should rightly be condemned. There's terrorism, there's, there's just uh, uh, perverted things that people do there's, there's a lot of mention in our media of sin just without using the word and a lot of condemnation. And what we tend to do in this world is offer these different solutions to the problem that are all very different. One of them is justice, which really means retribution a lot of the time, right? There needs to be justice for this bad thing, this evil thing that's been done. There must be justice, must be justice. Another solution, quite on the opposite end, is acceptance. We just need to love everyone, no matter their, their differences. We need to accept, we need to accept, which is all good until you've stepped outside the line of what your acceptance means, right? We need to accept, we need to accept, to a limit. And then there's law. We just need to enforce that the wrong thing isn't done. Just so long as we can enforce how the law is enforced. So, we, so long as we can determine it. There's lots of solutions, lots of solutions that are offered as to how to deal with sin and, sickness, and this sickness of sin in the world and the evil that it creates. But maybe God really does know that it's the only, the, that the only cure to the sin sickness in our world is actually forgiveness. Maybe it's not just a, a, a sentimental idea 
This thing, oh yes, we're forgiven of our, we're forgiven as Christians. We, we're, we're loved by God. Oh yes, that's nice. But I mean, really, when it comes to the real world, we need something else. No, no, no. Maybe God knows that practically speaking, it's what this world needs. I listened to a talk this week that just reminded me of the power in forgiveness. And rather than trying to, to, to unpack that whole topic today of can forgiveness practically be a force in this world that changes lives, changes communities, changes whole societies, I, um, I'm going to include the link to that talk um, underneath the sermon video on the front page of our website. It's called, or you can Google John Tyson, Father Forgive Them, a Lent sermon on those words of Jesus on the cross. I encourage you to have a listen to that this week. But what I want to focus on today is, well, what does it mean for us? If Jesus' good news message, if the primary thing that he wanted people to know about, wanted to be made public, was that there is forgiveness of sin, what does it mean for us? That's the reason I, inclu- this is the reason I included the story of Levi in the readings for today, rather than just going with the, the, uh, the, the story of the, the paralytic. Um, even though we're going to spend time on the calling of Levi next Sunday in our all-age celebration, I wanted to include it because this forgiveness that Jesus says he's offering is then so beautifully illustrated in hanging out, being around people who are considered to be the worst of sinners and then calling one of them to follow him in his inner circle, to come and be with him, to come and be close to him. People who are considered to be scum he calls to come and follow him, be near him. Last week we learned how Jesus fulfilled these beautiful Old Testament images uh, of the holiness of God's presence, the, um, the incredible, overwhelming goodness that God has, his holiness, bringing purity to the impure. Rather than the impurity of the leper kind of uh, being uh, put on Jesus and transferred to Jesus, the purity of Jesus' holiness as the Son of God is transferred and make, to the leper and makes the leper clean. It's not in God's heart that he wants to cut off those who are, who are impure. He wants to restore their purity so we can come back into his presence. And now what we see is that transfer of purity, not just in the physical sense where there's a leper and Jesus touches him and the the physical purity, the healing goes into his body. We see it in a holistic sense. There's a paralytic who's healed, yes, but he's cleansed of his sin. He's made new. He's forgiven of everything in his life that would not honour God. And then the next passage, we see this despised tax collector, chosen for the great privilege of following Jesus. Despite his past, despite what he's done, despite the ways he's not honoured God with his lifestyle and his work, he's chosen by Jesus to follow Jesus. This is such good news. This is such good news. Have you ever felt like this? I just don't really have a good track record. I'm not sure I match up to the standard God requires. Have you ever felt like, if God knows my history, if God knows what I've done, if, if, God, if God knows all that, I don't think he'd want me to preach the good news. I don't think he'd, he'd want me to do what Jesus did or even tell people that I believe in him. I'm not worthy of that. Have you ever felt this way? 
Or maybe have you felt like this? If God really knows my heart, if God really knows my thoughts, he must be disappointed. I think we have both a predisposition to think this way and that the culture that we live in forms us to think this way. I don't match up. I'm not good enough. And it's not mutually exclusive from from basically making ourselves feel better and saying, you know what, I feel good about myself if I compare myself to others. Self-righteousness is not mutually exclusive from not feeling good enough. It's actually one in the same much of the time. But Jesus comes with a different message and says, you know what? I'm making you worthy. He says, I've not come to call the righteous. I've not come to call the holy people, the ones who have it all together, the faultless people. He essentially says this, I am a doctor and I specialize in a sickness that everyone has, which is called sin. And the cure that I bring is from my Father. It's called forgiveness. My child, your sins are forgiven. My child, your sins are forgiven. And see, when we take up this great challenge to preach the gospel, I don't know about you, but I I sometimes feel as if it's a burden. Preach the gospel. We've got to share this good news with other people. And it can feel like something we're not equipped for. It can feel like something we're unworthy to carry until we recognize that we are living examples of the good news. Do you know that? We are living examples of this. We have been forgiven of our sins. We have been set free, redeemed. We have been transformed by the grace of God. And so we are living examples the good news that we is that we have been forgiven and there is no more guilt, no more shame, no more condemnation. All those feelings of failure and unworthiness, it's all swept away because Jesus says, my child, your sins are forgiven. And so as we receive this, as we really let it sink into our hearts and if we let it, as we let it take root, I believe that Jesus releases any sense of burden and any sense of unworthiness and any sense of feeling like we can't do this, like we can't live up to the standard Jesus asks of us. And instead, somehow in the mystery of God, we find joy and we find passion and we find even a sense of freedom in being carriers of the good news, which is... Your sins are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent or turn from your sins and believe the good news because they're forgiven. They're forgiven. And I sometimes ask myself, why do I doubt that people will hear this amazing news if I share it with them and then that they won't accept it? Because ultimately I struggle with this. And you struggle with this, feeling unworthy of love due to our failures. Why do we doubt that other people feel like that as well? And that this message of forgiveness is good news. It is good news. Jesus goes to great lengths to make sure that that, that people don't miss that this is his primary message. 
It's not about the healings or the miracles or anything else. Those, as Aaron said before so wonderfully, they back up the message. They're practical expressions of it. But it's not about that. It's about the grace of God. That is what the kingdom of God is all about, the grace of God. And this is when we celebrate uh, and and take part in the Easter weekend in just four weeks' time, Good Friday and, and Resurrection Sunday. We'll be reminded that he really did mean it, that he really did hang on a cross for your sin and for my sin and for the sin of those crucifying him. And he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. So as we close today, and we're going to sing that, that song again in just a second just to remind ourselves of good news, but I just wanted to make this comment, and that is that it's my sincere hope that I'm able to somehow, by, with God's help, do a couple of things on Sunday mornings and, and those who, who stand up here. Um, one is to adequately challenge us from the pulpit to take up our cross and to live out the mission of Jesus, to live like Jesus. It's such a high calling. It's, it's not easy. It's not comfortable. It's sometimes that, I don't know about you, but sometimes it leaves us feeling overwhelmed. It leaves us maybe even feeling disengaged or uninspired because it's like, oh, I really don't know. That's just, that seems like something for a pastor to do or something. Especially if maybe I or others if the message isn't packaged particularly well and we don't feel like, oh yeah, this is, this is really giving me faith. But as well as offering a challenge, a call to live like Jesus, it's my sincere hope that somehow, by the grace of God, what I'm even able to even more clearly articulate is an offer of invitation to come to Jesus to receive his love, to accept his forgiveness, to accept his grace, to become so secure in the Father's love for you that you truly live and love like Jesus. Secure in his Father's love. The alternative is that like the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders that we're going to read more about in coming weeks, that you become dependent on your righteousness for your self-worth, even if that means comparing yourself to others to feel better. These religious leaders did that. And Jesus ends up telling those people, he says, you know what, you're not actually that healthy like you think you are. He says, you're actually sick like everyone else. You just don't realize it and it's slowly killing you. The good news is that Jesus offers healing from the greatest sickness, to bring freedom from sin. He carries the authority from God to forgive. He, and his followers, recipients of this amazing grace, we are living examples. We are living examples of this good news. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your grace this morning. Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice you've made on our behalf, nailing our sins to your cross. 
And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you've made us alive again in Christ, that we may be adopted sons and daughters of the King, fully welcomed into the Father's arms. As we just take a moment to to pray, God, as we just take a moment to sit here in your presence, we pray you would bring to mind those things that may burden us or get us down or make us feel as if we're unworthy and that we would receive your forgiveness this morning.